want to bring up two incredibly wonderful people that I got to meet. How long has it been? Was it four years ago? Five? Yeah, standing right here on this stage. I had not met them before. We were introduced by Kevin and Angel, and they're just two great folks. So come on up. This is Arnold and Cherie Dorsett. You can have a seat. You can each have a mic. And, uh, I gotta get just a little bit closer. So one of the things that uh, we, we're gonna talk about is, oh, before we do it, let me read this scripture again. Um, we, um, I started there this morning and um, it's um, Isaiah 58. And one of the things that we've been talk, talking about some, we've been sensing is after this year of all the stuff that we've been through and, and most importantly, this place where we've been made to feel like you know we need to be away from each other, that everybody is unsafe to everybody else and meetings have been shut down and all the, all the stuff that we've all come through through, there starts to be, at least I felt in the church, this place of, oh, so this is the, the new norm. Mm -hmm. And people started talking about, well, church, you know, is brick and mortar is done with. It's just going to be just stuff that gets broadcast and so forth. And uh, I, I just disagree with that. Uh, and so this is in Isaiah 58. This is what I opened the service with this morning. Uh, he says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and the speaking of weakness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then, you shall, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, satisfying your desire in the scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. One of the things that um, we're going to chat about today with these guys is the, the work that they're doing and so forth. But, but before that, I know some of you have never met Arnold Shree, so you're missing something. So why don't you guys, let's just start. Tell us about yourself, how you guys got together, and what you're doing. So first of all, hey, hey. So we are excited to be here. I know there are a lot of new faces. We, we haven't been here in, in several years. But one of the things I want to say is there's not a lot of places that feel like home. But every time we come here, it feels like, you know, we're coming back to see family. You guys are an extension of us. Honestly, you're marked in our journey of our ministry. Because I want to say about five years ago when we first met, Pastor Bob, we came here for a conference that you guys were doing. Oh, we were leading worship. We were. And um, 
and we were just so richly blessed. And I'll have to say, was that a time where you ever be in a part of your ministry where you know you're called, but you're just like in the wilderness and you just, you know, there's not a lot of discipleship, right? There's not a lot of parental voice, spiritual voices in your ear and you just want to please God. And we were in that season of our lives, but still leading worship. And um, we, I rem- will never forget it. We actually have some pictures and um, Pastor Bob saw fit as a father, um, along with some other apostolic voices to lay hands on us and, and reaffirm, right? And there's just something about a father's blessing that awakens the call in your life, right? And so, um, and it was at that time that we were like, we can do this. We can do this. And we needed that because we're going to talk about it because during that time, God sent us to the bottom, and I, I know, don't get offended, but it's the bottom. And we were in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania, in a very nice area. And he decided, he saw fit to take us up and put us in a place called Kensington, Pennsylvania. Kensington, Pennsylvania has been on CNN, FBN, CNI, whatever news, because of the uh, level of drug activity, uh, prostitution, and homelessness. And so um, if there was a place that you did not want to go, that was where God sent us. <laughs> and so we're going to talk a lot about that. But just a little bit about ourselves is, um, and I'm going to let him share too, because I tend to be on my call, he says. But um, so we've been married actually 16 years next Friday. Yes. That in itself is a but God situation. So we met leading worship and, um, and, and we've been worshiping ever since. And, and during the tough times of our marriage, all the way we got through was worship. And so worship is very important to our home. Our four children are back there. If you guys can stand up, Dorset Tribe, stand up in Jesus' name. And there's one. <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's one, one in, the one in the, my um, oldest daughter in the front. In the front. And um, much our children are just such a blessing to us. But we currently pastor a church in Wilmington, Delaware, and I'm going to let you take it from there. Hello, everyone. Hello. We currently pastor a church in Wilmington, Delaware, City of Love Church on 22nd and Market Street. And um, we were in Philadelphia, and we heard the Lord said it was time to go home. And then we were not sure about that and didn't know what that looked like. And then. You know, part of me was like, yes, we're being relieved from the bottom, right? Right, from Kensington. And then when he tells us where to go, it's actually called, titled Baby Kensington. I'm like, (laughs) so, I mean, after a while, you start noticing, after a while, you start noticing how God is moving in your life and what he's calling you to. Just certain things just repeat itself and where he sends you and say, okay, so I know we're called to this. And so we're down there in Wilmington, Delaware, and um, just really on the journey, you know. And um, if you ever launched a ministry in the beginning stages, it's, it feels just like a, it's just, well, it's always a journey. But, you know, it's just that, that in the beginning stages, just trying to find, okay, God, what are you saying? Oh, we know that we keep seeing this, but make it plain. Please, God, make it plain, you know. And so um, he's just recently just made it plain to us. And I think it's funny that as soon as we sit down and you open up, open up with Isaiah 58, because that is the scripture that our vision is founded on, is Isaiah 58. 
And so I was smiling at my daughter, and I'm looking in the back like, are you kidding me? And so during worship, or during the, the I call it the river time when it was up here in the river here, uh, a young lady tapped me on the shoulder with two kids, and she says, um, have you ever heard of a um, treasure hunt? I said, yeah, we've done the, those things. And so the kids were doing a treasure hunt, and then um, she, uh, I think the kid was like, not sure of what to say or whatever. And then she says, well, is there anything that you want prayer for? And um, the first thing that came to mind, it's like, I knew I was sure, but I just, I said it because I, I, I think that's what I was supposed to say. So I said, um, clarity of vision. And then I said, resources. And so they prayed for clarity of vision. And then I get up here and you read Isaiah 58. And I'm like, okay. I better not ask God again, are you sure? <laughs> and so, um, but when the type of ministry that we have is, uh, you know, I stole this line from someone. I didn't come up with this line. It's, you know, we don't have the luxury of Hollywood church. We don't have the luxury of, um, you know, creating something that looks grand. You know, God did not call us to be, you know, pop culture pastors, but he called us to be janitors in the streets. And so um, I did not come up with that cool line. I, I, wish, I, I wish I would have. But uh, God called us to be janitors in the streets. And our job is not to try to count, you know, how many people we can get into our seats, but more so how many people we can impact with love. Yeah. Right? right? Not inviting them into our church, but more so inviting them to just community, whether they ever come into our church or not. And so we just recently... Uh, got so much more clarity of what we're supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, we, I guess we'll share, you know, more of that as we talk. Um, but in this clarity, I felt one of those, you ever have those woosah moments where you're like, oh, woosah, like I get it. It just feels like I don't have to strive. And everything God told us to do was totally opposite of everything I was trying to do. It was like, and so... With him making it clear, I felt the weights off, off of my shoulders just trying to just trying too hard. And I feel like we're really in a season of, with him making it clear, I feel like we're in a season of rest while we're doing it. And it's almost like it's undeniable because what God calls you to do, um, his, the resources are going to be there. Like, you know, all you got to do is show up. If, if God is saying do this, just show up. And sometimes it's hard kind of showing up and you still like, I'm not sure if the resources are going to be is going to be there. So, but just trusting God. You guys talked about trust, and uh, uh, the brother was here and he's singing. He was talking about trust and stuff like that. And so, I looked at my wife. I said, "We're in that season right now where we're just trusting." And I'll say this last thing. And last night we were in. And we'll share a little bit more about our our set, uh, one of our buildings. And so, last night we was in one of our buildings doing a walkthrough with a contractor, and um, my mother-in-law. Uh, we were talking about how we were going to get some more of our food resources. And, you know, we were like, well, we got a bunch of this, but we need some of this. And we didn't know how we were going to get it. And so uh, it's it, it ministry costs. So um, let me just say that. And so we did not know how we were going to get some of our food resources. So we go into a building that we own that is currently being um, used by the Ministry of Caring. They've been feeding the homeless there for 40 years. And so, uh, again, we'll go into more of that, that building um, uh, situation. But as we're going into one section of the building where the cafeteria is, 
there's a guy there, he's, he's working in there, and he says, hey, Rev, do you know anyone who could use canned goods? And I'm sitting here like, yeah, we could use the canned goods. And so I just thought it was funny that here we are at the 12th hour needing these canned goods for our food outreach. We did not know how we were going to get them, and someone donates a whole truckload. It's that kind of stuff that, like, why are you keep, why do, why do I keep questioning God? Am I doing the right thing? And he keeps doing this over and over and over again. And so where we are and where God has planted us, if we're just seeing the hand of God just, just move, we're kind of moving out of the way and just saying, God, whatever it is that you want to do, you just do it. And it, listen, it looks, it's messy. It is, it is, it is messy. And, you know, we're the ones that, you know, I got the green on because we don't, we don't mind being hugged. We really honestly don't mind hugging the prostitute. We don't mind hugging the drug addicts and those that come in, they smell like alcohol. We don't mind doing that, you know, because that's what Jesus would do, right? Right. right? And so um, we're excited about what God is doing, but at the same time, it is a faith journey. It is a faith journey. So now, in the midst of all this, you, you decided, because you didn't have anything really going to do, you thought, well, I'll, I'll just write a book. That'll, <laughs> you know, I got all this extra time. Yeah. So tell us about the book. Um, so, yeah, so towards the end of last year was the year of actually releasing it. But I've been writing in this book. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask my son. He just slumped down in his chair. Stand up, Cameron, for a second. <laughs> Uh, I just love my son so much. He's my firstborn, um, but uh, he'll, he'll be 18 next next week, going to college this year. Yeah. Woohoo! I'm so proud of him and who God um, has created him to be. But when he was two years old, uh, at a time where I had no reference point of deliverance, spiritual attack, spiritual warfare, um, he he came under demonic spiritual attack at two years old and um, nightmares, waking up with scratches. Uh, he is a seer and he's a prophetic. Uh, unfortunately, he has that prophetic gift that passed down. So you see even, in, even when you don't want to see. And so, so at two years old, um, he would run in my room. And at the time, you know, he could talk, but not really clear, you know, and he's screaming. And this situation, um, it, it repeated itself 10 days straight, um, sometimes three to four times in the middle of the night. I took him to the pediatrician, spoke to a lot of spiritual authorities. And apparently in the medical field, it's common for two to three-year-olds to have nightmares. And they say it's a phase. But for me, this felt different. This is not just a stage in his life. It's not just a bad dream. Um, anytime there's a manifestation on a child's body, there's another level of fear that, that hits your soul as a parent. And so um, long story short, because the, the, the story is actually in the book, but um, I, I remember getting a book by Cindy Trim during those nights. And I was actually pregnant with my daughter and um, picking up that book and hearing Holy Spirit saying, walk the halls. And it was a journey of him teaching me spiritual warfare while I was yet in war which is yet another level of intention when you're getting attacked and your child's getting attacked and you're sensing this spirit of fear that is bringing you to your knees, but yet God's saying, get up and walk the halls and begin to declare my word. And so 
it was through those years of him going through spiritual warfare, God literally teaching me um, how to fight in realms that I didn't even know existed. And and so that journey, that was the beginning of the journey. You know, I have four children. And so the book is really full of, I want to say, almost 11 years of, of, of spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare coming in the way of bullying in the schools. Me finding out that, you know, one of my children don't like their identity. They don't like who they are when they look in the mirror. And God exposing those tips and those awakening tools as parents to be aware, right? And so the book is not just a book for parents. Uh, it's funny, I'm finding social workers, youth pastors, even single individuals, because it's teaching, it's teaching the parent how to teach a child spiritual warfare, how to hear the voice of God. But in that journey, the parent has to, to learn first, or the individual has to learn first. And so... It's called Small But Mighty, and we have some books for you guys in the back. Um, but it's it's a it's my fifth child, <laughs> so I, and it's um it's it's been a blessing because even writing it, it it's making me more aware of my children and my nieces and nephews. Or you know, here's the last point I'll make. A lot of times we give excuses for the enemy to infiltrate our children's lives. What do I mean by that? Oh, they're just going through terrible twos. And I remember saying that about my youngest daughter because she's like me, very stubborn, very strong willed and you would allow it or she'll get over it's terrible twos and holy spirit says no that's the spirit of rebellion and so we give things names based off of scientific allowances but at the end of the day the enemy will use whatever he has as an open door to infiltrate your child's life and so i remember very on you know, there are times where where you normally would send your child to the room instead of sending them to the room. I bind up that spirit of rebellion. Oh, yes, I do. And, and just see their whole disposition change. Right. And so it's awakening us to this idea that just because they're little does not mean that they don't come under spiritual attack. And actually, it's easier for the enemy. So it's important for us. And I love this church because you guys are doing it. You're you're equipping the children early. And we have to because the world is equipping our children early. And so if you have school-aged children, I just wanted to say this. I'm a I'm an advocate for education and parents being aware of the curriculums. I read the curriculums. I want to know what you're teaching my children. If I'm not homeschooling them, I want to let you know, no, I don't want my child studying, you know, the, the 15 different goddesses of this world. That's okay. They'll take a pass in this because I don't want the world indoctrinating my children with an alternative um, idea. Right. And so it's just I just want to encourage you and awaken you, if, even if you're a grandparent, you know, awaken you to the idea that we're not done. You know, you may say, I don't have children. I don't have grandchildren. Then there's a thing about mentorship. And we're going to even talk about that mentoring the neighborhood children and, and, and those that are coming up in this next generation. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good book. Get one on your way out. I had the privilege of reading parts of it before it was actually published. Yay. So it was a it was just really good. I was excited to see it come out and and read what she was what she was saying you, I think you'll get a lot out of it so as um, you guys uh, went to boot camp and then you left boot camp to your first assignment private first class and now you're at that assignment you've been upgraded I'm not sure where you're at yet sergeant lieutenant I'm not sure but you guys are getting it done so um, when we when we talked the uh, the other week, one of the things that I was sensing is for us as a church, and I think possibly for the church at large, if if all we're doing is this, we're not doing much. 
because what I read out of Isaiah, we need to be at the place where the streets are redeemed to a place they can be dwelled in again. If the only thing that's actually out on the street in, in, a, in a town or a city, if the only thing you can see on the street is just maybe some cars parked there and some trash, but you don't see anybody except the people that you don't really want to see because everybody's inside because it's not a safe place, then we, we haven't repaired the streets. We haven't repaired the breaches. The places where the enemy has come in, uh, they, they are still wide open and people are suffering because of the level of darkness. So we were, when we were talking about that, tell us, um, like when you guys first went in, you said this, this, when you first got there, the street looked like, and you gave me the picture, and now the street looks like it does now, which is a different picture. So walk us, walk us through that. Yeah, so there's, there's so much to tell, but we remember when we found out that we were being assigned to this particular place in Wilmington, so we, we would drive by. And um, because we were in Kensington for two and a half years, it didn't it didn't shock us. It was weird. It was like, oh, this is baby Kensington. It felt like a step down. So we felt empowered to to redeem what was there. Right. And so um, but what was there was, you know, very openly about 15 drug dealers that that very clearly owned that territory um, that serviced about 200 drug addicts. Um, and, you know, it, it was just all in the open. And, and it was it was mind boggling because the police would drive by. Um, so it, it was allowable. It was allowable. And so uh, we remembered our first outreach there. And um, my husband grew up from the streets. I mean, I walked the streets, but I'm not really from the streets. You know what I'm saying? So I would be out there talking to the drug dealers, like offering them water. He's like, you realize you're offering the drug dealers water. <laughs> I'm like, you're thirsty. You've been there all day. Would you like a cup of water? You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Would you like something to eat? You know, you've been standing there. Are they coming to pick you up? Yeah, you know. And uh, he's like, they're drug dealers, Sheree. Like, that's what they do. And it didn't, for some reason, it didn't matter to me. Right. It didn't matter to us because the drug dealers, we looked at the drug dealers just like the drug addicts, like they need Christ. And so the interesting thing about what it looks like today, I think we're, I'm counting. I am counting, guys. I'm like, OK, two years ago, it was 15. We got three more that just they're stubborn. They're, they want to remain. So we went from 15 drug dealers to now just three. We know every drug dealer. We were like, hey, so and so, you know, we've been inviting them to church and we're seeing this dwindling even of the drug activity there. Um, and so I want to talk about what that looks like, those practical steps of dislodging the kingdom of darkness. It has to be very intentional. It has to be very bold. And so for years, you know, we pray for the uh, baptism of fire, right? But the way that God is doing it, see, fire is demonstrated by a baptism of love because the scriptures say that they will know us by our love for one another, right? And there's something about love that usurps the darkness. And so um, when we first got there, we were agitated. We were, we're like, they got to go, you know, we got members coming and, you know, they're out here selling drugs, dropping, dropping heroin bags all in front of the church, just disrespectful, you know, <laughs> and... <laughs> 
and just agitated every Sunday. We're sweeping up, you know, drug bags and all these things. And it wasn't, our filter wasn't love. It was inconvenience, right? And so I remember the shift though. Um, there was this one young lady, she was a, she was a powerhouse drug dealer. She had, she had a good business going on. <laughs> And, um, and, and, and so I, I remember I was in my house actually in prayer and God showed me her face and he gave me a word of knowledge for her. And you ever get a word of knowledge for somebody that you really don't want to approach? So like, you like, you know, it's one thing to approach sister so-and-so that you've known all these years, but God's like, no, I got a word for you for that drug dealer over there. Right. And so I remember, um, it wasn't just a word. It was a word of warning and God showed me, uh, her actually face down in the street and it was this whole just vision and it but it scared me to the core of what I saw but I think what scared me more was that he was calling me to share this with her right and so I remember long story short he gave this to me and I said the next time we're there I'm just gonna walk up to her and and, and begin to release this but it was a period of about three weeks for some reason she was gone and so I thought that what I saw in this vision actually happened. And so I remember I burst into tears crying. And so long story short, uh, maybe like that fourth week after not seeing her, saw her back on her post. She just took a little vacation, y'all. And uh, she was back on her post at work. And um, I called her over and I said, hey, you know, she had this just hard look, very just what do you want? Y'all are messing up our business because that's what they would tell us when we would do outreach. You need to tell them to move. They're messing up our your, our business. They're out here praying for people. The you know we got to move corners when you're out here praying for people. So the so the drug dealers were they're agitated with us, right? You know they were sending messages, you know and things like that. And so that's the other thing. A baptism of fire is marked by a, a baptism of boldness. So, you know what I mean? It's like this, this cousin thing, like this baptism of love and this baptism of, of boldness that God's releasing in the body of Christ. So, I, you know, I called her over and, you know, I just said, listen, I want to share something with you that happened to me four weeks ago and at that point. And I began to share the vision with her that God showed me. And I said, God, this is a warning. And I said, I feel like I can talk to you because you at, you at one point, this is the word of knowledge, had a relationship with God, but you became wounded. And I can't remember everything that I shared with her. And she just began to weep. And um, I remember, I think at that point, that's when some of the people at the church was like, why is she out there on the corner? So they all came out, um, which is great. Even my son came out. And um, we just began to just love her and um, and just just tell her that God had a plan for her life. And it wasn't this. And um, so right there on the street, you know, she gave her heart to the Lord and she hasn't been out there since. Matter of fact, she asked to see if she can come play the drums. And so there's this. She was a drummer. And so that's just one story of many um, that God is doing out there just because we are just making ourselves available and just because we dare to just release a light in such a dark place. It's clearly visibly dispelling the darkness. The atmosphere feels different. Because one of the things I think that's important, and, and I, I so appreciate testimonies, is, you know, over a year ago, we've been a church that, you know, on regular occasions, people are going overseas. We've been in Haiti, you know, and other places working. And we always bring those stories back. And they become steps of faith for us and places of engagement where we we come back and talk about like what Cherie just said, somebody being impacted. I mean, this is a woman that went from, a, you know, a hardened heart, selling drugs, to standing there on that same street, 
crying and receiving Christ. I mean, that's absolutely miraculous. I mean, that's the power of the gospel that no one is too far gone. No one is, is unreachable, no matter what they say. God gets the last word. And, and he's just asking us to go. And so I just so appreciate these, the, the stories. And I feel for us as a church, we need to get ourselves back in a place where we're doing things that generate the testimonies. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, so not all of us can go, but those of us that can, should. Because they're like, like, I'm sure this is your experience, but when you get done, when you were done praying for that woman, there is something inside of us that changes. Because you just watched this miracle that you were a part of. And, you know, you went into it with fear and trepidation. I don't know what, it's, what she's going to do. Maybe she might just punch me out. And, and she might. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, that's a, that's, the, that's a real reality. She just might. But she didn't. And we, and we then start to experience that for ourselves. In, and I would challenge all of us. We need those mile markers in our life where the gospel that we say we believe is more than words on a page, but it's the reality in the street. And if we don't take that step, there's just so much that can be ours that's not ours. All right. So you were, um, uh, so you, you told me, one of the other stories that you, you shared was um, the lady with the bag that showed up and said this wasn't, yeah, you know, the enemy's getting bold, and that's why we have to get bolder, right, with wisdom. But so our worship leader, a couple of weeks ago, well, now it's over, over a month a month ago now. So about a month ago, uh, we do outreach pretty regularly, and um, we're out there just handing out groceries, got our table out, and, you know, it's pretty organized. People come up. They, they We ask if they want prayer. There may be a team on the corner across the street just engaging individuals and our worship leader called us with this this situation story and it was a confirmation I want to share it with you because she said it was this young lady that walked up and she didn't look homeless but she looked struggled like she was struggling she was carrying a trash bag and just walked up to them and said, you know, hey, what are you guys doing? It looks like there's a lot of activity going on here. And our worship leader, who's amazing, she's great on the street. She's like, yes, you know, we're handing out groceries, just loving the neighborhood. Is there anything that we could do for you? And and the lady says, um, well, it seems like there's a church down the street doing the same thing. And she's like, yes, it's, you know, the churches are partnering in and we're just loving this neighborhood. And she's just affirming what we're doing. And she said the lady's disposition just very quickly shifted. And, and, she, and the, the lady, well, well, it was a principality speaking through her, but the lady begins to speak and says, um, you know, this can't happen here. The, I, I just need you to know that I'm back. And she said, this is my land. So this is what this lady's saying. And, and people, well, it's principality. There's, the spirit was speaking and trying to intimidate, you know, City of Love and what they're doing. So she said, this is my land. And, um, and I need you to know I'm back. And she pointed at a building. 
that was across the street. And I'll tell you why this is so significant. The enemy will show his, show his hand and it's funny, but she pointed to a building. She said, and that building is mine. Now, mind you, so what happened was early that morning, if outreach was at 12, at nine o'clock, we were there earlier looking at a warehouse directly across the street to open up as a disaster relief center in the city of Wilmington, where we can enlarge the food closet, clothes, resources, and all that. And so my husband has been very vocal about what God showed him about that area, about even the building that she pointed at, that God was like, you know, it's a four corner project where, um, you, you know, where it's things that are dilapidated. If the building has broken glasses and the building has been abandoned, that God was going to redeem the land. And so that's part of the Isaiah 58, where going into territories where it's not just the souls that are being revived with the people, but the land itself will be revived. Well, it will literally look different. And so for the enemy to basically try to claim territory and say, that's my building, and this is my land, he was trying to make a stake in that. And so we got very specific instructions um, by Holy Spirit on beginning to un un undo and, uh, and redeem the land. So when we're out there, we're declaring, you know, the earth is the Lord's and the, he's my father and, and, and any, any place that our feet tread. And so we're not out there timid, guys. Like we are out there spiritually releasing the spirit of God. There are times where we'll take four corners and we'll begin to declare, we'll prophesy to the buildings. You will be revived. You know, we'll prophesy or pray or intercede for the families in those houses on their street and they can hear it. You know, this is not just, you know, us in our corner and, you know, God enlarge our, our voices. No, that you're going to hear what God is going to do in you. And so, and this is, this is, it's so amazing because it's, it's changing. It's actually changing. And so, yeah, I'm excited. I'm sorry. I'm not very passionate about these things. But. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it easy to ask questions. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, uh, if, if we could um, pull on you a minute, Arnold. Um, we, in our lives, there's many of us that have, our, our early years weren't our best years. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And... Um, and yet, at a certain point, God gets a hold of us, yeah. which is, for me, it's still the most miraculous thing ever when somebody says yes to Jesus. That, to me, is the greatest miracle there is. I mean, you're saying yes to something that you have never even seen, but somehow you know, and your heart shifts with a yes. And so, Arnold, you, you know, I know from just what you've told me in times past, you know, your, your younger years had a few challenges, but it's like you now, and, and I'd like you to, you know, share some of that with us, because I think it points to the place that, as you said, Sheree, that what the enemy intends for bad to destroy us, when God begins to redeem it, it's not like he totally takes us away from where we were. He takes the redemption that he's put in us and keeps us right there because our story fits yeah. the hearts that need it. And so he's done that with you. So, so tell us, because most people don't know you, so tell us a little bit about. So I, I grew up in Wilmington. I grew up in the projects of Wilmington, Delaware, in this, uh, South Wilmington and in North Wilmington. And um, I, I just believe, honestly, the greatest miracle is a transformed mind. 
that's to me the greatest miracle is a transformed mind and um my younger years of course our younger years i'm not going to put myself out there all of us <laughs> our younger years weren't we're our best years and um i grew up as i said i grew up in the projects i grew up in a crack house you know my parents um, were on drugs and they both died in 1996 two months apart from each other my mother died of hiv my father had hiv but he died of a drug overdose and the autopsy showed that he killed himself with rat poison in his veins. And so, um, so they died two months apart. And so um, all I knew was the streets. All I knew is survival, everything I did. Whatever I did was all about just trying to figure out how to survive by any means. And so um, did myself, uh, you know, selling drugs and just kind of knowing how to do that. It's, it's kind of weird, it's kind of strange. It's almost like a, I think you just, you just kind of pick up and you just know how to do it when you're around it. And so even as a kid, you know, I just remember every spoon, every spoon we, we tried to eat cereal on was burnt at the bottom from my parents using it to, you know, uh, cook you know, cocaine on all those types of things. I hope I'm not telling too much or talking too much, but just trying to tell just my story, just so you know and understand, you know, where I'm going. And so um, just growing up in that and selling drugs and things of that nature. Now, when the transformation happened with me, it, it wasn't because I got busted for drugs or, you know, it was like I got shot or anything like that. I was literally standing, uh, I was literally standing in my living room on my way to do what I do. And the taste got knocked out of my mouth. It was just like one of those things, like I cannot explain it. And I know that doesn't happen for everybody, but it was just one of those things where I lost the passion to live that way. I just could not do it anymore. And um, so that's how I know, this is how I know uh, the uh, miraculous power of God is, is real. It is real. I've had opportunities to quit. I've been locked up before. I've been uh, down to the police station where they showed me pictures where I was on the train and all those things. Now that that stopped me, it's just one day I just stopped. And I know that was God. I know that was God. And even when I was younger, you know, my parents, even though we've gone through this, my mother was a prayer, was an intercessor. I, this is a strange, maybe strange to some people, but even though my mom was bound, you know, I would listen to my mom. I could hear her in the middle of the night praying. I could hear her walking through the house, trying to kick this habit, rebuking every spirit, you know, the old school way. We're taking anointing oil and we just putting it over every window and pouring it out everywhere, you know. I, so I saw her doing this. And so my roots, you know, I grew up in church. You know, I grew up a drummer. My father was a guitarist. And so, you know, I just believe that, you know, my grandmother and my mom's prayers, you know, had a lot to do with what would happen to me that that one day. And so, um, anyway, so I just honestly believe the reason why we are planted, our church is planted where we are is because of what God brought me out of. And most times I do believe that whatever God sets you free from is what he's going to send you back to. And so I always, can always, say, always say this too, you can always tell the level of anointing you're going to by the number of attacks in your life. And so for me, it wasn't strange. I mean, I didn't like it. It's very uncomfortable. Like, you know, like, why can't I have like a really nice building? You know, <laughs> you know, I mean, 
you know, but it's very easy for me to uh, just go out there on the streets and stand in front of drug dealers and have conversations with them. I know what they're thinking. I know what they, what they think about me. You know, I can kind of diffuse some things and it's, it's, it's kind of easy. And so even as we're in this building, um, um, we kind of took, we need to talk about the story of the building. So we kind of took over this building and there were eight, eight members there and I think the youngest one was like 65, the oldest was like 92. And so, literally, like, and so, uh, but they haven't had vibrant church there in almost 15 years, I was told. And so, uh, I did get, you know, I'm going to shift a little bit. I did uh, kind of got pulled into the principal's office uh, by one of the older members and says, you know, um, what kind of pastor wears ripped jeans? I was like, this kind of pastor wears ripped jeans. I mean, and uh, who preaches in a hat? I do. You know what I mean? They was like, well, that's not what I'm used to. That's, um, you know, what a pastor looks like. And I looked at it and I said, well, what does a pastor look like? I don't know what a pastor looks like. What does a pastor look like, you know? And so I quickly said this. I would never, never say this, but I was, you know, really prompted to say this to her just a reminder. I said, when we came here, you told us that this church wasn't, had any life to it, you know, and the community stopped coming in. But since we've been here, the drug dealers have visited. Since we've been here, the drug addicts have come in and sat through an entire service. Since we've been here, I think I might be relatable. I think they may see something. They say, I can kind of relate to this guy. I can kind of get with this guy. And so uh, I feel that what I've gone through and where God has placed me is a perfect marriage. And again, even though I know this, it is still uncomfortable at times. It's still hard at times. And sometimes you gotta stand face to face with some of these guys and some of these girls and you gotta just tell them the bold truth about what's happening. If you do not receive Jesus Christ, not condemning them in that kind of way, but just through love and say, listen, you need Jesus. There's nothing that you can try. There's no drug. There's no one you can sleep with. None of that's ever going to work. You're just gonna keep running into a brick wall. It's only Christ that can change your life. If someone has to stand there and tell them that. Someone has to stand there and tell them that. And so I think also because of my uh, background, I can almost kind of stand as a guard dog for some of the ones who don't know. They're kind of wet behind the ears a little bit, don't know the streets a little bit. And they get, they get caught in certain conversations. And I'm like, don't go over there. You know, don't do this or don't do that. And so I could actually, just because of my background, um, I can discern, you know, just being able to discern and just, just kind of watch from a distance who's doing what and who's the main person and who's, who's running this and running that. And so um, because of what I've gone through, is, um, Lord is using that to help us win and to help us, you know, um, just connect with those guys and those people that are out there. And so it's been a journey, but it's a beautiful journey. To add something that was really interesting about this this journey in the last two and a half years. When we first got there, we were so frustrated. And just because of some of the, the drug activity, it was bad. And especially when you have your own church community of children. And it's nothing for us to see 30, 40 heroin bags out in front of the church. They were putting hair. They were actually, when we first got there, hiding the drugs in the church bricks. And so they would go and get the drugs out the church bricks. And we had to confront that. We had to, you know, 
we had to tell them you can't do that, you know. Um, and in the beginning, we used to uh, we used to call the cops, right? And so we know every cop too. So we know every cop. We've met we've met city council. We've we're you know pretty involved with that. Our last conversation with the cops, the uh, sergeant of that area who deploys all the police officers, in essence said, "You guys are on your own." Am I lying? And so that's when we began to say, okay, God, you wouldn't put us here without a strategy. So what's the strategy? It ain't calling the cops on them because the cops, the cops ain't coming. The cops are just like, we ain't coming. <laughs> They're not. And so um, that's a whole nother, a whole nother ministry. But um, what is the strategy? And that's when we begin to see that the only way to dislodge them is to begin loving them very strategically, um, you know, feeding them, talking to them, being consistent in their lives. And one by one, we begin to see this, the enemies begin to weaken in that area. And we still got work to do, but a lot of work has been done. And I, I think one of the things that you brought up, like in being able to, to like sometimes just say the hard truth, uh, and then they're receiving it. I think part of that comes when we're, whatever background we've come out of, we've learned the language of that background. And when I say language, it, some of it's the spoken language, more of it's the unspoken language. We know what the glance means. We know what that particular look means. We, we grew up with that. So... All of a sudden, like on one of my trips to, uh, we were in Brazil, and we're all out on the street with the street kids, and all of a sudden, one kid, I don't even know, I don't remember what he saw, but all of a sudden, all those kids are shoving all of us back through the door into the place we were staying to get us off the street, and within seconds, there's gunfire up the street. Now, I didn't understand that language. Right. Because that's not the world I live in. Right. I mean, I haven't had anybody shoot at Redner's yet. <laughs> but those kids, three, four, five years old, they, they knew the atmosphere, yeah. like you're saying, because they know how to survive. If you don't get out of the way, you get caught, shot. So, but the, the point being that um, when, when God takes us out, we have this encounter with him. Now our hearts change. We've been redeemed. He's at work within us. It doesn't mean we've, we lose the language that we grew up with. It doesn't necessarily mean we even lose the culture that we grew up with. We're still there. But now because, like if I came in, and try to talk to one of those drug dealers, I would not get away with talking to him the way you talk to him. Right. I probably would be in a really bad spot <laughs> <laughs> for some apparent reasons. <laughs> and, but, so we know where, so the Lord uses each of us strategically in that place. So he's given you the voice, but because you know the culture and you know the language, when you say the hard thing, it's not an outside voice that's easy to reject. It's an inside voice that says, no, I know. I know. Because here's my story, and yours doesn't have to look like mine. Because his name is Jesus. And he's come 
to change your life. I, I can say this too. There is um, every gift and anointing is needed out there, no matter what, right? One of the things that's missing, though, is you may have pastors like us that can relate to them, but the one thing that is missing, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience on both sides. I'm speaking from knowing because I was there, and I'm speaking because I'm on the other side. And the one thing that's missing is the mama and papa hearts. So even if you don't come from that, but you carry them, these people come from broken homes. These guys, they didn't have their fathers. Some of these girls have bad relationships with their mothers. And so even if you don't come from that, but, be, but you carry an anointing as a father and a mother, they will receive you. They, and I'm, I'm, here's what I'm learning. A lot of times we may be afraid to go out there, or miss, you may not be afraid, but you may be nervous or whatever, to go out there and to really get into, get your hands dirty. But to be honest with you, uh, they're more ready to receive you than you think. In this last few seasons, it's been so easy to minister. They're waiting. One guy said, we are, uh, he was approached by some of our uh, uh, street church members, and um, he was, you know, would put his cigarette and stuff like that out. And he says, no, he, when, they, when they got done talking to him, he said, I'm just happy you're talking to me. And they said, what do you mean? He said, don't nobody come out here and check on us. This is what the people in the streets are saying. No one talks to them. So you, you'd be shocked of the stories and the thoughts they have towards the church or just they're saying, I want out, but I don't know, I don't know how. They, they, they sound like the man at the pool. They want out, but they got no one. They don't know how to get out. They don't know the language. They don't know the first thing. And, and then not only that, but when you got these, not trying to be funny, but when you got these religious spirits just talking to them, they don't know if I should do it this way. Should I put a suit on first? Do I wait for Easter? Like, how do, what do we do? They're confused because the church confused them. Right? And so it's, it's simple is better. It's, it's easier just, just to talk to them. But the shocking news is you could go out there and they'll receive you because of what you carry. Because you carry a father's heart. They're waiting to talk to a father. They're just waiting. And so we're in here, not here, but in the church, you know, in the four walls. I told our church, I said, I am tired of trying to perfect our service. I'm tired of trying to make sure that someone's standing at the door correctly. And I'm tired of that. I don't want to do that anymore. These people are hurting. They're broken. Get the church. If we, we got, we rode around on the floor long enough. And we will continue to do that, but, right? That's for us, though. But they, they don't know anything about that. So when we come in here and we get built up and we get our joy back, you're supposed to give it away. 
So as, even as worship leaders, after we sing and we write our songs and we do all these great things and, you know, God is shining his light on us, we're supposed to give some of that away though, right? And so at the end of the day, what matters is souls. At the end of the day, what are you doing with the anointing that is on you? You've, we've practiced enough on each other. We got it. It's perfect. We, we, perf- we got it, y'all. Trust me. We got it. We've practiced enough on each other. And we will continue to do so. But it's time to give it away. I'm sorry to get all emotional, but it's time to give it away. I, I told our church, I don't want to, I can't do this anymore like this. Because when we leave and we go home to our little comfy house, nice backyard, and a meal, I mean, we're living in overflow, right? There are times I go to sleep at night and I think about those people that were at the table in need of that bag. Because I remember standing on the other side of that table. I remember that. And so... Even if I told another friend of mine, I said, and I'll turn over. I told another friend of mine (laughs) whose church is in an amazing area, but he's not that far from where the action is happening, right? And he is like, man, if I did outreach out here, we'd be buying food for nothing because no one's going to come. And I told him, adopt a neighborhood then. Just adopt a neighborhood. And there's enough Darkness. (laughs) Darkness. <laughs> to go around. You said it. That's it. There's enough darkness to go around. I mean, after a while, after a while, we have to think sometimes the closest they'll get to hearing the voice of God is through you. The closest, you know, they say, I've never felt the love of God is through you. One of the things that we talked about, or did you want to add something to that? No. <laughs> One of the things when, when I called them, I said, I, I have felt that for us, it's time to get back on the streets. It's 2021. It's a street year. And I have been following mainly through Facebook what these guys have been doing and the different things that they post. And it, it's like the second and the fourth Saturday is you're, you're, the, you're out on the streets. And what I'd like to propose to us as a church, I know the second Saturday we have encounter, but I would like to propose that on the fourth Saturday of the month, we start making a regular trip up Route 1 and start working on the streets with these guys. Because I think, one, we have a lot to learn that they can teach us. And two, we hadn't talked about it, but what you just said, we do have a lot of fathers and mothers in here. And if the people are waiting for our arms to embrace them and our voices to touch them, then it's time to go. And so I just, I'm just going to submit that to us, that um, I've even, you know, 
I'm sitting here, I haven't even brought this up to the presbytery, so <laughs> I don't even have uh, approval yet for this infomercial. <laughs> but I like us to take the, you know, the fourth Saturday of April and make it our first trip north. And that's that, not ours, two or ten. Oh, I don't, yeah, it doesn't make any, I mean, just saying, we could, we'll pick a time to meet and we'll carpool up and you can treasure hunt, you can pray for people, you can just hand out food, you know, every, whatever comfort level you're at. Uh, and if, um, at least in my own experience, I can't think of any time when the Lord has sent me in places like that that I did not carry a certain amount of apprehension and concern and thought about the what ifs. But so far, I've always come home. <laughs> so, uh, I've been, it's been a few times I found myself, especially in Haiti, where you're out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And they leave you on the street corner. Yeah, and they just <laughs> left me on the street corner and said, here, sit here, we'll be back. We've got to go get the truck fixed. And if you're with us, they'll charge us too much money. Mm. I'm sitting on a street corner in a real rough place that everybody speaks Creole. And I'm just hoping that they get the truck fixed and come back for me, because if they don't, <laughs> this boy's in a serious trouble, because I'm a long way from nowhere. <laughs> but they came back, and they got the truck fixed, and, you know, we all had a good time on the way home. But it, it was, <laughs> so we're going to feel those things. But God, it, but we also feel his presence. And at the end of the day, we feel the exhilaration of that person that steps out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you know they've been changed. And you know that what happened right now, they're not going to get it all together tomorrow. But what happened right here, right now, that's not going away. And God will continue to find them. I feel like I hear him even clearer out there on the streets. Um, you know, we have a church, we go to churches and we minister, but there's something about being out there. Um, you, If you think your gifts are amazing in the four walls, wait till they start getting out there or on the street corner. And I want to say that, you know, our backgrounds are completely different, you know, so I don't necessarily have that street discernment, right? I'm actually kind of naive out there. I'm just like, they're all God's children, you know, you know, I... I <laughs> It was a guy picking up a girl and I was about to go up to the car and be like, don't do this, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> what would your wife say? You know, like, that's, I don't know, like, that. I, that's, I just want them to know, like, I'm that voice, don't do this, you know. Um, so I do have to be careful, but I, you know, even in my naiveness and even in, you know, because we're just being obedient and God put us there, I already know that there is protection. But here's the thing they're waiting for us like we most of the time we're not even engaging them right we're just standing on the corner offering free prayer <laughs> do you want free prayer and they all come up you know 
even the police are coming to get prayer, you know? Um, and so it's not even a thing of disrupting what they're doing anymore. As he said, they just need someone to give them a, a slice of hope. And that's all we're serving. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, love it. So I would love to partner with you guys. I, I like what you were saying. You know, there's enough darkness to go around. And maybe some are thinking, well, why do we have to go to Wilmington? Why don't we just go to Greenwood or go to Milford? And I thought about that. And my reply is, we are. But let's go learn, get better equipped, and then we can bring what they're modeling. We can then look around us and say, well, where does that fit here? Where does that fit there? Do we... Do we go down and, and jump in with the shift destiny, destiny folks in Seaford? Or do, you know, who knows where, where Holy Spirit is ultimately going to lead us? Yeah, but I think we need a starting point, And I feel this is an excellent starting point to, uh, to get in, get our feet wet, and just have a hoot of a time. I want to say you guys are going to have more fun than anything. I am telling you, it's, it's so much fun. Um, we may have these things, you know, these ideas in our, in our heads and, and some, you know, with what, what could happen, right? But most times we're just playing this movie in our head that we saw on TV, right? So it's like, I mean, think about it, you know what I mean? And so, um, but it's so much fun. And I can't really say how many times we've asked someone if they wanted prayer, they said no. You know, I mean, miracles happen out there on the streets. It's so much people coming out of, I gave this last testimony. We were in the church building and we were, oh, we were working on, on the church, cleaning or something. Get this bang on the door and a guy's at the door and he said, uh, Reverend, uh, I got something for you. Now, in my head, I'm like, uh, should I open the door or what? It was kind of late. So I looked, and I'm like, okay. So I opened the door. He comes in and says, uh, I, I got something for you. I got to give it to you. Wait right here. And he runs out. And I'm standing there with my door open like, I don't know if I should be waiting for you to come back. Like, what do you mean? And so... I'm standing there, and he comes back with this huge bag, and he says, close the door. And I close the door, and he says, I'm done. I'm done. I don't know what to do with this. I don't want anything to do with it um, anymore, and I didn't know what he was talking about. So he leaves, closes the door. I take the bag. I didn't open it yet because I was afraid to open it, and I didn't know what was in there. So, so I go back in our fellowship hall, and I open it, and at the time, I didn't know what, what, it, uh, what the amount was, but after we, we, we turned it in, it was $30,000 worth of drugs, of prescription drugs. And, you know, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes you're like, is he going to come back for it? You know? <laughs> and so we called the local you know, the police because I'm not going to drive around in my car with it to take it to the police station. I'm not doing that. And I'm not going to flush it down the toilet. So it's like, all right, so I called and, uh, you know, the police and they asked and they told us what to do in situations like that. They actually have a system set up for that. And so they took care of it um, and everything. But 
just because we're there, what's happening is even though sometimes we may not see it, the power of God is moving. The guy lived across the street from the church. So the presence of God is there. The presence of God is there. And so we're seeing all kinds of miracles happen. And um, we're just excited. When you guys come, you, it's going to be, I want you to first think it's going to be fun. Think that first, okay? So, so let's, let's all say that. It's, it's going to be, be fun. fun. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Prophesy. Yeah. Well, we, we, could, we could talk the rest of the afternoon, I know. But uh, it's been great, great, great having you guys with us. So appreciate the time. Um, so if you want to sew into this, do that. Um, I, I would like to tentatively put on the, not tentatively, we're putting it on the calendar. The fourth Saturday of April will be our first uh, trip up the road. Well, we'll work all that out. I mean, I, I, uh, we'll, we'll get the details all worked out. Right now, we just got to get it on the calendar. So if you would like to go, if you'd like to be a part of this, and it's, I'm not saying that everybody has to go every month when we go. This is purely up to, you know, if you want to do it and when's it convenient to do it, you know, when, when you can. I tend to think it's going to get one of those things that once you start, you're not going to want to stop. And you might start off saying, well, I'll do it every couple months. And you find out, I ain't missing it. Yeah. I'm just not going to miss it. Yeah, so, so mark that. And uh, what I want to do as we're, as we're closing, um, I, I want us all to stand. And I want you guys to just declare over us, pray over us. Yeah. Just... You guys can stand right up here. So, Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in this house, Father. I thank you that today is not only just a new beginning, it's a launching out, Father. I thank you for just stirring up the hearts. Even right now, God, you're just stirring up the hearts of passion, stirring up the heart of hunger for more of you, Father, more love for your sons and daughters, God. I thank you that there's just a stirring. I just feel like some of you have been pushed and provoked and awakened in areas that you may not have even felt in a long time. So, Father, we thank you for bringing the increase of what you're doing right here and right in this moment, Father. Even dreams. Some of you have seen yourselves operating in the streets years ago, and, and time just happens, right? And life happens. But God is saying that there's a redemption of those dreams. And so, Father, I thank you that they will be manifested, Father. I just declare miracles on the street, Father, through the works of their hands, Lord God, even in their homes, Lord God, even just from today forward, they will be a house that's marked by love, Father. Love for one another, love for your sons and daughters. Father, we just speak to the fathers and the mothers, and we we are inviting them to arise, God. We're declaring that they're awakening, even at another level in you, Father. We thank you that the Father, the, the love of the Father, love of the mothers being just slingshotted to the world, Father. Your children need it. They need to feel the love of you through your fathers in your mothers. So Father, we thank you for even the vision of this house, to the desire for souls. I just declare that if you may say, you know what, I, I, I love God and I love his children, but I, I don't burn for souls. Well, I declare that right now that there's a baptism of the desire of souls into the kingdom of God. 
Father, I thank you for giving them that, gifting them the desire to see souls by the hundreds, by the thousands. God, come into your love. Come into the revelation of who you are in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Yes, I just decree and declare two. Uh, I got two declarations. I decree and declare boldness and no excuses. Boldness and no excuses. I speak Isaiah 58 over this house that this church will make communities livable again. Will make communities livable again. And God, we thank you, Father God, for those uh, that are hungry to see the pow your power move in communities and families, God. Lord, Father God, we thank you that this church, Father God, will be a part of a movement uh, that will be talked about for decades and decades, Father. We just thank you for uh, a, a, just a fresh wind that is coming through that is actually here in the name of Jesus, God. We thank you, God, that you're increasing them right now, God. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Bless you.